In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. All right. It was a dark and stormy night in Southern California in the depths of winter. In that quiet week between Christmas and New Year's when all the world seems to stop. The rain was pouring outside, lightning was crashing. And if you haven't guessed it yet, this is our birth story episode. Yes, this is our birth story episode and it won't be very dark and stormy because it was actually too long, don't read. It was actually a really great experience and I'm really thankful for that. And we're going to share with you the actual story and then we're going to go into some takeaways like we've been weaving in with our personal story. Because I do think that after having this experience, I mean, I've been a pelvic PT for 16, almost 17 years now. And going through this experience myself was eye-opening in a lot of different ways. And we've actually changed quite a bit of how we do labor and delivery prep at pelvic sanity based on this experience. And what's interesting is that, you know, N equals one. I mean, my experience is my experience, but I really worked hard to try to expand and be like, where else could it have gone a little bit differently? And how can we be helping our patients better given that I've now been in that situation? And it's been very interesting for me to like really reflect and see where we can be helping our patients better. And I think that there's a few different things that is, that's actually a big deal. But, you know, I think you'll find it interesting that it's not going to be, oh, do get a little bit more hip internal rotation for, you know, the pushing phase. It's not going to be that type of, of podcast. Yeah. So we've been really gratified by the response and all of you guys who have reached out as we've kind of shared a little bit more of our personal story and the lessons we've taken from it. As just a quick update to this point in the story here, right? We have now been, had a couple of losses, gone through IVF, been through a high risk pregnancy, had Nicole's shortened cervix situation that we were in there monitoring and obsessing over whether it was like 0.1 up or down that week. And so for us to actually get to 40 weeks at this point was, was pretty crazy. Everyone thought that it was going to go earlier. I mean, my MFM was like shocked. really excited when you were like 33. He's like, okay, great. Mission accomplished. Like any day now. Right. And so, you know, of course I was thinking this is going to go like 42 because wouldn't that be the ultimate irony if we spent all this time trying to make sure little Clay stayed inside and then now we're worried about how to get him out. But that's where we ended up being with this this whole process. And so this was actually on the due date, the de- technically the day before. And we had some family in town. Nicole, you had then gone to acupuncture and chiropractic care on that day with the hopes of speeding things along. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I had my appointment with my MFM the day before. So this is, would be a Monday. And he was like, okay, you know, it's ironic a little bit too, that we were going to talk about like, he was going to let me quote unquote, this is the only, only part that I didn't quite love about him. He's like, well, I can let you go to 41 weeks, but we're going to have to do some sort of induction after that. And so there was a little bit of irony in that since we had thought that he was going to come so early this whole time. But I was like, well, yeah, you, no one's going to let me do anything. So I'll be the judge of this. But I did, you know, there was a little bit of a, a time limit now on how long little Mr. Clay was going to get to stay inside. So 
I had been going to acupuncture my whole pregnancy. I'd also been going to chiropractic care and public PT my whole pregnancy. So I happened to have scheduled on that next day, Tuesday, both chiropractic, Webster-based chiropractic person and acupuncture. And both of them were like, okay, it's kind of go time. You know, we've been doing just a lot of things to like make everything a little bit more comfortable. But now like, especially my acupuncturist was like, do you want to do some mild induction points? And I'm like, sure. So she, you know, hooked me up to actually the stim machine with acupuncture that day and felt great, had a really great session, went to chiropractic care that did whatever they do and had a really great session there. And just kind of went home, moseyed on. We weren't, public sanity was closed the week between Christmas and New Year's. So we just kind of was able to go home and hang out and uh, just wait. Yeah, well, we had some family in town. We were going for beach walks this whole week. And, you know, you were saying, Nicole, things started feeling like a little bit different, a little bit weird, but nothing crazy. And you were getting some kind of mild contractions every once in a while, but in that kind of ramp up phase, but everything was kind of settling and going away. Yeah. And one of the interesting things is that, you know, everyone talks about having to say no to cervical checks and everything. And, and actually my birth team never asked me if I, you know, wanted or never forced me to have a cervical check. So I didn't know how much I was dilated. I had asked my maternal fetal medicine doctor, I was like, do you have a a hunch? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to have you check. I know that that checking your cervix at this point doesn't mean anything. You can w- be walking around three centimeters dilated for weeks and and it has no impact on or prediction value for when you're going to have go into labor. So I was always just not interested in knowing exactly what, but he said that based on how short your cervix was, and he said, you, I was probably a couple centimeters dilated. So on some of our beach walks, like I, there was definitely a distinct difference between like what it was like the week before and like this week. I was like, there's a definite shift to the point where I didn't really want to walk on the sand anymore. In fact, my whole family like wanted to walk on the beach because it was this epic low tide with this epic sunset. And I had done that the day before. And I was like, you know, I'm not feeling like I want to be on some uneven surface right now. And that was just sort of like a little gut feeling. So I took pictures from the from the beach walk up there above where it was like a lot more flat and made me feel a lot more like stable. I was feeling a little bit, I can't really put my finger on it, but it was just, I was just not feeling very secure, <laughs> secure and stable, I guess would be a good way to put it. He was definitely like lower. And the more that I walked, the more I was like, mm. He's definitely like down there. He's getting some like shooting vaginal pain. (laughs) So, you know, he was like dropping. So later that night, we're having kind of a family dinner. We're sitting around. All of a sudden, like Nicole's starting to get real quiet over there on the couch. Probably about 7.30 that night. And then eventually ended up going back into the bedroom. And so from my perspective, I followed you in. And, you know, you're drawing the bath. You're starting to do all the things the doula told us to do, right? Is you kind of see whether or not this is actually going to be, is this going to be a thing? Right. And up until this point, I mean, there was a couple of times when I had had some contractions and my protocol was get into the bath and and for about 20 minutes. And and most of the time so far, they had sort of subsided and it was like, okay, great. Nothing that was crazy painful or anything. The one thing that I kind of knew that this time it was like, a little bit of go time was that everybody was sort of getting sitting down to eat dinner and not even like a half an hour before that I was like I'm super in the mood for manicotti like this is I make it every year it is pretty epic and we had some leftovers and I was like I'm going to eat this manicotti and then right around that 7:30 mark I had my first like I would say quote unquote real contraction and I was like I I'm not hungry anymore. And I kind of like did this reclusive thing back into the bedroom. Didn't really say much. And I was just like, okay, this is a little bit different. Got into the bath, was kind of there. Jesse checked on me a couple times and then went back out with the family because it was like we were sort of, they were at our house. So it was like, that was what we were doing. So we eventually started timing everything. And, you know, we've been kind of prepped by our doula that this is going to be a process, right? So even if this is the start, you know, we're probably, we want to labor at home for as long as possible. We don't want to go to the hospital and get turned away and have to drive all the way back home. So we're kind of settling in for this to be, a, you know, a long night. And we start 
kind of measuring the contractions and they're about two minutes apart from the very beginning. And I was like, well, this is weird because when they were training me how to do this, right, I'm over there with my stopwatch and my chart. So I'm in my little element there pretending nothing else is going on. I'm just doing my little math problems. But (laughs) it was... Right, it was like Rochelle. This wasn't supposed supposed to be like ten minutes or five minutes apart. Like, what what's actually? I mean, we're starting to get to like, oh, it's kind of serious questions time. Yeah, so. because of course, right? Everyone, and if you've had a baby, you probably know this, but the the general recommendation is five one one. Right, is like the contractions are yeah five minutes apart, lasting for a minute. And whatever the hell, for at least an hour. Oh, for at least an hour. There we go. Before you go in. (laughs) I was like, what is it? I teach this to people. Yes, I do. So before you go in. And so, and we had had to calculate, we were maybe going to go a little bit earlier than that because we live about 30 minutes away from the hospital, which is all of the things that we talked about with our doula. I wasn't really freaking out because I was just like in it. But then all of a sudden I was like, they're not like slowing down any. What in the hell (laughs) is happening here? And so we had called our doula, and at this point, these are contractions that I am definitely not able to talk through. I was in the bathtub. Jesse has, I'll, we'll probably share this picture. Jesse took one picture of me during this time, and I was in the bath, and you can see the cupping marks on the, on my back and all the things. And I, it was, it was not a, fun experience, I would say. It was like go time. Right. To the point where you like yelled at your sister and then everybody just kind of like quietly snuck out of the house. Like <laughs> right. all the, all the, everyone had just kind of like slowly left. Yeah, because no one, okay. So no, no, I didn't like announce that like, okay, you guys, I'm having contractions. I just like went back into the bedroom. So my sister is taking a red eye going to LAX and you know, they wanted to take a shower before. So they had, they had all eaten dinner and they were getting ready to go. And my sister like normally is very just like comes into my bedroom, does whatever, gets a hairdryer or whatever. My door's closed. And so she's like knocking on my door being like, can I get a hairdryer? And I'm like, I need a minute. (laughs) And so apparently what I didn't realize was that that was that code, was code for, for everybody to be like, get the fuck out, get out right? <laughs> so that's all going on. We're now on the phone with the doula. We call the midwives and like, you know, there's definitely a little bit of urgency starting on the phone. And we start to realize like, hey, we may not be chilling here for the 12 or 24 hours we were anticipating. Like we were set in for the long haul. And so our doula, you know, very calm through the whole process, which you really appreciate, right? But was like, you know, Jesse, you might want to go ahead and... And get started packing the car. Those are actually coming pretty close together. And as we're kind of talking, and then we're out of earshot with Nicole, she's like, you know, it's happening pretty quickly, but it's fine. At least her water hasn't broken. Right? So she's calming me down, which is great, right? And so I head out to the car. I've got the bag. We're all prepared. We've got all, I mean, we're packed for like a week and a half, guys. Like we could have gone on a camping trip with what we'd packed for. The labor room, right? But we're excited. We're going to go to this fancy, bougie place. We're going to be sitting in tubs. We're going to be doing facials, whatever we're going to be doing there. <laughs> I get back in from loading the bag into the car, and like Nicole has broken her water like everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, and everyone has, it's so funny what it's like everyone tells you. Everyone tells you that it's not going to be this gush. It's not going to be what everyone says in the movies. Well, that is what happened to me. So all of a sudden, it's like, you know, everyone was like, are you, you know, is you, are you going to be able to tell? And some people have a hard time telling whether it's urine or whatever, or the amniotic fluid. And there is there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like that was happening. It was very different. It was definitely a gush. It would not stop. And so I had taken my pants off at this point because I'm like, and trying to just like put towels there, which is actually comes into play here in a second. But so Jesse comes back in and I'm like, okay, so my water just broke. Meanwhile, the contractions are now coming. Still around that, what, two minutes apart, lasting Sometimes for 45 less than two seconds? Minutes. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm replaying what the doula just said. Well, at least her water hasn't broken. I was like, well, shit. Uh, like, literally 30 seconds after I got off the phone with her, the water breaks. So we hustle into the car, and, you know, Nicole's kind of covered with I the w- towel. Hustling. I would not say I was doing anything hustling. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole was going and then asking me random questions about things that were or were not in the bag. And I was like, well, at this point, we just I'm not go. looking for shit in the house. So if you forgot to put it in the bag, like it is gone. Like <laughs> I'm sure there's a vending machine in the in the hall. We're gonna need it at the hospital. So we get in and 
pretty nerve-wracking drive, right? Because it's getting pretty late at night. We're probably 10.30 at night. It's raining. Everybody in California loses their shit when it's raining, so no one knows how to drive. So, And then we're, yeah, 30 to 40 minutes away from the hospital. I still remember the bump at the bottom of our hill that we went over that was not a good one. That was not great. And then the one thing that I remember is that, so we're in the car that I usually drive, and Jesse's like, where are the windshield wipers? And I'm just like, you have got to be fucking kidding me right now. This is not the type of question. How many areas could the windshield wipers possibly be in this godforsaken car? I just need to get to my place. <laughs> that's that's actually pretty funny, right? <laughs> Never driven that car in the rain, guys. So anyhow, so we get there. <laughs> anywho. Anywho, right? So I'm speeding along. I'm like, this is awesome. We're never going to get a ticket. I can, uh, I'm kind of hoping we get pulled over, you know, so I can tell that we're on the way to the hospital. It didn't was, happen like that. I was that. not feeling that. I was yes. just like, get me. Nicole was just dead silent place. the whole time. And so we pull up there. I let our doula know we're on the way. She's actually the first person who's there as soon as we get there and she's rolling out with the wheelchair and kind of starts to take control of the situation. And so, we open the door and Nicole, what's the first thing you say The first her? thing I say is like, she's like, hi. And I'm like, I don't have any pants on. And she's like, she's like, that's okay. I do have a towel. And I was like, yes. So we get into the wheelchair, put the towel over me. And I mean, the contractions are still coming really fast at this point. So we have like three on the way to even just from the car to the place where we check in. And I didn't get irritated at very many things. But the first time we roll up, and I'm like, not in a great way, right? It is intense. It is fast. We have to stop like, and the girl at the front desk, like barely looks up and she's like, Hi, are you scheduled for an induction? And I like lost my shit. I was like, yeah, it was super sarcastic. Like, yep, sure. Yes, we are. And so it was very clear that I was in labor at that point. And so the doula then quickly was took over and was like, you know what? We're going to need a room like right now. So skip the paperwork. Skip we the got paperwork. all in there and... I mean, basically, I don't know what you remember from that, Nicole. It was like you got in and the midwife comes in and it was like, it's kind of go time. Yeah, she checked me and I was um, 10 centimeters dilated uh, right when I got there. So from 7.30 to 10.30 at night um, was at home and car ride. And then from 10.30 on is when we, so we, I started to get the urge to push like as soon as we got back into the room a little bit even before then. And then she was like, okay, Nicole, like the next contraction, if you feel the urge to push, go ahead and do it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening. Right. So there went our entire plan of sitting on the peanut ball and the nice shower in the place and filling the tub and all of those different things. And all of a sudden like we're in it and in there pretty quickly. And then, you know, kind of nervous situations early on, they were monitoring the baby and baby's heart rate was starting to change as Nicole was going into contractions, which made them pretty concerned that there was something going on or that the cord was wrapped around him in a weird way. And that added a whole lot of urgency then to the situation. And what that also did was the the protocol when you're in the midwifery area of the hospital, the protocol then for that situation was to call an OB in. I didn't really realize that that was what was happening. And so I recognize my midwife. She's there. Jesse's there. Doula's there. The nurses are there. And, you know, so they're trying to get an IV in my hand. It's another time when I like totally snapped at somebody. <laughs> this chick could not get the IV in my hand. She had tried left hand, then right hand, and then was trying the left hand again. And at that point, I looked at her and I was like, if you do not get this IV in on this try, we are going to have a huge fucking problem. <laughs> and so she turns everyone, all white. And she, then after it's like, Nicole, I'm so sorry, but... I was like, after she she did get it. She yeah. did get it you after that. encouragement, man. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, some encouragement, quote unquote. But I was like, this has got to be that we have got to just get this in. Like, what in the fuck is happening? And so, yeah, that was another thing. And at the, at the end, in between contractions, after she got it in, I was like, I'm really sorry. But that was like really uncomfortable. <laughs> a little bit later than that, right, then we start to have the, the heart rate decelerations. And 
so that triggered a protocol for this part of the hospital where the OB comes in, which I didn't really realize at this point. I'm seeing familiar faces. The nurses are doing a good job. We've got past the IV situation and we had a couple of contractions. And then I'm kind of hearing that there's like something going on with the monitor. And so all of a sudden it's like this person is in my face being like, get on your back, get your knees back. And I need you to push. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, this is nowhere on my birth preferences at all. Like what in the world? This is fast. Like, I feel like we've been in there for like, not even, not even 20 minutes at this point. We're already like, the vibe totally shifted. We're already like now going off plan. And I am like, but I'm not in a really great way to like, and that's going on in my head, but I can't really articulate that that's like not what I want to do. So I don't know, Jesse, you could probably talk to this a little bit more. It was interesting to see the difference in dynamic between the midwife and the, the section there. And then when the OB entered, the dynamic really did change. And it, it felt to as an observer, like this was an urgent situation that that, that whole dynamic change, if we were going to say one thing that wasn't great about the experience was the fact that that person came in. Because it really wasn't necessary, as it turned out. And so what ended up happening, actually, about three or four minutes after that, Nicole says, you know, think about this going on in her head. But she eventually just, like, looked at the OB and was like, wait a second, who are you? I was, Yeah, I literally said, like, wait a second, who are you? And she was like, you could tell she was, like, taken aback that I had said that. And it's, you know, of course, again, in between contractions. So it's we don't have that much time. It's like, I need to know who you are and, like, essentially, what the fuck are you doing in here? Because A, I don't know you and B, you're telling me to do shit that I don't want to do. So my real thing is like, is this really necessary? Like what in the world? And that moment actually, again, shifted the dynamic power dynamic, essentially back to midwife and me, because she was like, oh, my name's Dr. So-and-so. Then she explained the situation. And, you know, but, but at that point, then it he wasn't having as many heart decelerations. And so the at that point, then the midwife and her kind of stepped outside and... The midwife kicked her. And just to give you guys a uh, thought about this midwife, she is awesome. She started a midwifery program like 20 years ago when this wasn't even a thing. Just a badass, awesome practitioner. She would be... I feel like if she was going to be cast in a movie, it would be like in Boston and like The Departed. Like, that's the kind of vibe you get from her, like a true, like, don't fuck with me kind of lady. So she was incredible and basically kicked the OB out. Like, thank you. Your services are no longer required. Yeah, we'll come get you if uh, we need you. If and when we need you, right? And then then things kind of settled in. And that's when I feel like the the true labor part, really, I mean, really got started. Yeah, totally. Um, Because that was all like within the first few minutes that we were even in there. And then now, then it was like doula and all the and the midwife were asking me like what what position do you want to be in and she knew that I wanted to try hands and knees and she knew that I didn't want to be on my back at this point there was no walking around or anything like that like I thought I was going to do because we were already in the active pushing phase and so I was really lucky to be able to try hands and knees for quite a while which Some didn't work, which was interesting, right? Because that was something you you felt was going to be a really important part of your birth experience. Totally. And was not. Yeah, totally. It, you know, it's interesting. And we'll go into this, you know, when we do a little bit of the clinical part. But from, you know, you guys know I don't love biofeedback. But the one of the ways that we use it at Pelvic Sanity, one of the only ways we use it at Pelvic Sanity is to actually look for how well do you relax your pelvic floor during these different positions and and breathing positions and and laboring positions and so one of the ways that i found that i was the felt the best and objectively was the best was on hands and knees and i was like this is great second was sideline and so i really wanted and i had communicated it to my birth team that i really wanted to try a lot of the hands and knees position and midwife was okay with that she's like i'll catch the baby wherever you want And so that is what the plan was. And so I was kind of a little bit stuck in a little bit of that. I want to do that. But I will tell you that that did not work. I was unable in the moment to to get my breathing and my pelvic floor coordination correct enough so that he would progress down into the birth canal 
the best. And it was just very ineffective, which was surprising to me. And so we'll go into that a little bit later here and with some of the clinical takeaways, but to the point where I was not able to do any sort of open glottis pushing in that position. Even some of my Valsalva closed glottis pushing was ineffective in that position, maybe partly because of clay, maybe because of just anatomy wise. It's just like what my body was doing. But there was a point where, you know, my midwife and my doula are trying to coach me to push and get on top of the contraction and do all these things. And I was trying with all my might and all of my blood vessels in my eye (laughs) and to the point where finally my midwife was like, Nicole, I need you to not push with your face. You're pushing (laughs) with your face. And, you know, as a pelvic floor PT, like that's definitely not something that I ever thought that I would hear. I was like, I have the best body awareness ever. I'm all up in my pelvic floor all the time. Like I know how to do this. I teach this to people. And in that moment, I couldn't quite get it, which I think was is very ironic. Right. To the point where you're blowing blood vessels in your eyes. <laughs> Just really scary to look at yourself afterwards. We will go into that here yeah, in a second. A little vampiric afterwards. <laughs> it was not great. So, but sidelining ended up being good. I found a little bit of help by grabbing a leg. That was it. That was my sole contribution to this process. I mean, what else, Nicole? The only other things I remember are when he actually started coming out and when you decided to ruin my favorite t-shirt. Oh, yeah. This is actually interesting. So what was really cool is that, you know, everybody at that point, OB was out of the way and and we'll go over in another podcast like birth preferences and all the things, but we ended up pushing. The most effective way for me to push was on my left side and Jesse was holding my leg into internal rotation like a champ. So that was great. And I was looking at my doula the whole time. Jesse was actually behind me. So I actually didn't have very much eye contact with Jesse. Considering the state of your eyes is probably a good thing. <laughs> True. But it was really, it was amazing to have my doula right there with me. There was at one point where Clay had like gone into deeper into my pelvis. And you can tell that like the midwives were interesting because she was definitely would like leave the room every couple of contractions. Like, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, he's going to come out in the next couple of pushes. And then she started to fiddle around a lot more. And there was a time when I like looked at my doula because the sensation of, of him dropping into a new space in my pelvis was so jarring that it was kind of scary. And you know, you can like look at her and she was like, it's okay. It's just a new space. He's in a new space. And then you can immediately sort of be like, okay, this is okay. And then not soon after that, someone was someone, I think it was uh, the midwife said, oh my gosh, Nicole, he's got so much hair. And then that was like, I was like, oh my gosh, you can, someone can see him. Like he's almost out. And so a couple pushes later, he was out. And we found out the reason why he had a little heart rate decelerations was that he has a cord wrapped a little bit around his neck, which is sort of normal, but also pretty tight around his little abdomen. So that was what was causing that issue. And a couple pushes before I had had my, cause I was still like dressed from the waist up. Anyways, um, and I was wearing one of Jesse's actually favorite shirts. And so we wanted immediate skin to skin and everyone kind of knew that. And so we were, they asked me figuring out how to get the shirt off. And one of the options was to cut it. Oh, Nicole jumped on that. Just cut it off. Yeah, so, <laughs> so dramatic. dramatic. Right? Just cut it off. I was like, are we sure? Are we sure we have to do that? So anyways, they cut off the shirt so that we could, so I didn't have to like fiddle around with that because at that point it was like go time. And so, yeah, so Jesse's favorite shirt got cut. He I was got- like, they had needles and thread there too. Like, they, I don't know. We could have put it back together, but yeah, I feel sad about it, but- that was it. And he came out and he cried once just to let us know he was doing good. Yep. He popped down on Nicole. We had our little family moment and it was pretty cool. Super awesome. Yeah. Apgar score eight to nine. And then one of the things that I was super obsessed about during this whole time was like, I just want to know the status of my perineum. I want to know the status. And so my midwife thought that that was like hilarious. She was like, I don't think I've ever had anybody on their birth preferences right in there. I want to know the status of my perineum as quickly as possible. And so, but I can, I'm proud to say that we did a completely unmedicated birth. 
that whole time from the time we got to the hospital to the time that he was born was about two hours. So he was born at 1239 the next morning, right on his due date, which is less than 5% of babies. And I only had a little small grade one tear that required just like one little stitch. And this was my favorite, well, not my favorite moment, but I realized that this is my natural instinct in times of stress is to make bad jokes usually. And so I was like, I can't only get one in. And so this was my moment. I was so excited about it, right? And you know this like tough as nails midwife. We've just delivered the baby. We're in this like woman. Everyone in the place is a woman who's all about this and empowering and all that stuff and and awesome environment. And so as she's doing like a couple of stitches for Nicole's little grade one tear, I just asked her, is this the time when we can request that husband stitch I've been hearing about? Oh my gosh. The thing is, I was like, Jesse, no one knows you. (laughs) Everyone was like... The midwife like just popped up, popped like, up, and was like, "Absolutely not!" Like, no, she's like, "You come here, I've got a stitch for you." Oh yeah, that's what she said. That was awesome. I got a stitch for you, and then I was like, "He's joking. He's totally kidding." Like, you know us. Like, you know, I had to like full on make sure that everyone knew that he wasn't serious because this idiot is like trying to do all these damn jokes. Like two minutes after Clay was born, I was like, "Great, here he starts early, buddy." buddy you got to get started early, so. That is kind of the story. So about five hours start to finish. He was born at seven pounds and five ounces and 19 and a half inches and good size. Yeah. Perfectly average size, actually. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. It's the only time you're going to be average, buddy. So yeah, so this is, it was a really excellent experience. We're going to go into a little bit of the postpartum stuff after. But I mean, I'm really, really, really thankful that... I had the team that I had. I mean, honestly, the way that it it worked out was I can't imagine not having that amazing experience. I mean, I can't imagine not having those people there to create that amazing experience. I mean, I feel like that OB situation could have gone really awry had I not been assertive, had, you know, the doula not understood what we wanted, had the midwives not been committed to my birth preferences as much as they were. The whole hospital staff was really awesome there. And even though we did make another joke about, can we get like some of our money back? Like we didn't even use the tub. We didn't use this big old suite. I thought we would get the tub postpartum at least. We could have had a nice little <laughs> soak afterwards, but I so, like that either. So yeah. So anyways, but it was just a really beautiful experience. And little Mr. Clay did so great and he's here and it was a really, really Pretty awesome experience overall, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah, pretty great climactic scene to like a three-year situation for him to be here. So that was that. But I know you guys want to hear a little bit about what has changed in thought process and, and how that's kind of affected things. So a couple of things that we had been thinking about how this has really changed how we want to interact with patients and how guide them through this process. I think the overarching thing, Nicole, is not really helping them prepare for their delivery, but prepare for all of the eventualities, prepare for everything and be more involved and insert yourselves more throughout that process. Because one of the things that we felt is we had, I mean, I think we've said it before, we've never felt like so privileged that Nicole knows a lot of great people, that we had the resources to do it. We had the time to work with a doula and a chiropractic person and acupuncture and all those different things. We know that 99% of people don't have that kind of support and they might only have a pelvic PT and their OB. And how can we fill in some of those gaps that we were fortunate enough to have from all these different professionals? But if that doesn't exist or they're not able to take advantage of it, how do we help with that kind of stuff? And I think one of the first things, Nicole, was honestly the decision to go with the midwife in the hospital option and really understanding what our different options were for where and how to deliver. Yeah. So one of the big takeaways that I want you all to think about is that, you know, do you as a pelvic health rehab provider know like in and out all of the different options for your birthing people in your community? And I'm talking about everything from statistics from the hospitals and providers and where they work and the pros and cons of each of the locations and all of that stuff. I think that that I had the luxury of knowing that because that's 
what I do. It's like literally how I work with pelvic sanity. Like I want to know that this hospital does that and this hospital does this and this hospital over here has these practitioners that that go this way with these statistics. Like I know all of that. And those are the things that we can impart to our patients. But, and now even more so, we're going to ask those things and make sure that they know that they have choices. Do they know that their OB might have privileges at two different hospitals? And what are the pros and cons of birthing at each of those different locations? There's a huge difference in in one of the ways that they work. At one of the hospitals, they have a team of people that where each individual person like comes in. So there's one person that takes your blood pressure, one person does your heart rate, one person comes in and checks the baby. So you have a lot more people coming into your room versus a model where the nursing staff does that all for you. So you have less, less people coming in all the time, like even little stuff like that. And big picture for us here in Southern California, and we know not everybody has as many different options, but you have the option of home birth. You have the option of a standalone midwifery. You have the option of a midwifery within the hospital system, and then your traditional OB route. And being able to just understand the pros and cons of each of those and what that says. And for us, you know, we weren't ready, especially with all the medical stuff we'd had going on before, to try a home birth. And we weren't ready to be at a standalone midwifery where we would have to take an ambulance ride to the hospital if something went wrong. But we also weren't in that, you know, like Nicole says, like didn't want to be pushing on her back, didn't want to have an IV if she didn't have to. So didn't want to go the entire, you know, true OB route. So the kind of medical midwifery within the hospital setting was definitely the right choice for us. But do you guys know those different options in your area, what those look like and how to guide your patients to the best option for them? Because honestly, if, if not us, then who's giving them those options? Their OB is not going to be telling them usually like, hey, you know what? You could probably have a home birth if you wanted to. Totally. Right. That's not that. So that's another area just talking about where we can insert our information and knowledge And this is where you can be in terms of getting this information. If you guys are a little overwhelmed and say like, well, how do I know that? Well, one is just asking your patients, Nicole. I know you got a ton of information just from asking those questions of your patients who have been through the system and then reach out to those practitioners and ask and develop those relationships and understand what the options are for people so you can help fit them into the right place for them. And, and this is actually goes to show too, like even, so my OB, who I had a really good relationship with, I actually had a, an excellent rapport with, he had helped me, had a really a strong connection with him because he had helped me so much with, especially with that second trimester loss that we had had at the very beginning of this whole story. I wanted to deliver with him and he sat me down after the first couple of visits that when I finally got to 20 weeks and 24 weeks, he said, you know, what is most important to you in this birth? And I said, I want to be able to move around and walk around and not be tied to an IV and not be tied to all of the medicalization of stuff from as much as we can. And he said, I am one of the most liberal OBs in this entire area. He goes, and if you want that, I can't necessarily give that to you if you want me to catch your baby. And so I was like, those are the things that like your patients might not have. You patients are not going to have an OB that is actively saying to them, what do you need? What do you want? And I can't give that to you. And just being super honest, most, not that they're being deliberately deceptive, but they, it's just not what they're, they're usually doing. And so we can sort of be those people and those practitioners for your patients where you can be like, what is the most important thing to you? Is it the most important thing to you that you have an option to do an epidural as soon as possible? Is it important to you that, you know, you have someone that, you know, loves empowered births and is willing to have you labor in a tub? Like, what is the most important thing to your patient? And then how can you help them navigate the system in your area to make sure that they can have the best chance of getting that outcome. So that was the first thing and the first area where I think that we could be more assertive in in giving people those options and, and helping them to get into the right place for them because that, that plays a huge role in what the birth experience ends up being. Um, and it's something I probably didn't certainly didn't understand before we went through the process ourselves. I think the next thing that we were thinking about is just how important, and this was mostly our doula did a fantastic job of this, but was helping us to think about letting go of control 
in that process. And she actually did this really cool exercise with us as she kind of went through a story. She had us write down, each of us independently, six things that we wanted for our birth experience and put them onto like little pieces of paper, individual post-it notes. And then as she went through this story, we ended up having to crumple them up and throw them away. Halfway through, it's like you realize you're like trying to hang on to a couple of those little ones. It's like, oh, maybe she's only going to make me throw away five of the six and I'm going to get to keep one. Nope. But that was so great because what happened for us, as amazing as it was, was very different than what we had been told to expect, right? It's a first-time baby. It's going to take a long time. You want to stay at home as long as possible. It's like, well, we almost had a car baby. Right. <laughs> we were thinking about staying at home as long as we can. Oh, cool. We're going to be there. We're going to be in these different positions. And I'm going to be able to, you know, for me, it's like the soundtrack is really important. So I'm going to get the music set up and it's going to be perfect. And the soundtrack is going to be going and none of that was the way that it happened. And I think if we had been, if we hadn't had that preparation from her, I think that would have been a much more jarring experience. And because she had really worked with us on letting go of those expectations, we were able to embrace that moment and have it be a really beautiful experience, even though it was completely different than what we thought it was going to look like. 100%. So my second thing for you all is... Do you have a long list of doulas in your area? If you don't have that option for people in person, are there you know, a lot of people do virtual? I mean, I feel like a virtual doula would be better than no doula at all. They really are special types of people. And just like with any profession, there are good and bad. So can you, as a pelvic rehab provider, also help guide your patient into choosing the right doula for them? And if they don't want to or can't afford or whatever, if they're not going to have a doula, then what are the pieces that you can help them with that a doula would do that you can also do? And we have patient education in our scope of practice, like we are allowed to do that. We don't have to call ourselves a doula. And actually the doula industry is is an unregulated inter- industry anyways. So, but just to understand that we can impart so much good, helpful knowledge to patients and, and help to set their expectations well throughout the process. Like we can be that facilitator as well. And whether that's referring to a doula or actually if they can't, if that can't happen, then taking on some of that ourselves in the, and during some of their sessions, like that is super, super important. And, you know, there is a lot, uh, there's a couple of people that are doing doula courses. So I've actually taken uh, John Martin's and Amber Brown's doula course, and you don't have to actually be committed to doing actually being at births in order to glean a ton of information from that to incorporate into your pelvic floor practice. So highly recommend just getting to educate patients on more of that stuff from a pelvic health rehab provider perspective. And the same thing with putting together birth preferences. I mean, we, again, felt very fortunate that the place that we were working, um, like our hospital actually encouraged us to do that. But I feel like that's not the way it is for most people, right? Right. That Um, is definitely not the norm. I was asked multiple different times early in the process for, you know, like birth preferences. My midwife sat down with me at about 34 weeks and went line by line through my birth preferences and said to me, and, and talk to me about them. What was standard practice at their hospital? What was something that we could make work? based on everything. What, what is something, something that, that was an unreasonable expectation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was really, really an important part of the journey. And if that's not going to be, if you, do, if you don't have the luxury of having these amazing types of practitioners in your area, then you have to be that amazing practitioner that's going to encourage and empower your patients to have those birth preferences and help them to craft one that is that fits them. And, and that is so very important. And we can be that person if we are educated enough ourselves about it. Absolutely. And then the last one, Nicole, I, I know you took a lot away from this is, but I know everybody intellectually knows the difference, but I feel like there's a conflation sometime of labor positions and pushing positions. And 
being sure to really disentangle those for patients. Because frankly, as we talk about being ready for any type of experience, if you are so wed to a specific position, kind of like you were with the hands and knees side, and that's really, really important to you, or you've gone through that with your pelvic PT, and that's the best position, quote unquote, for you, and then it's just not happening, we can actually be creating some of those expectations that then get dashed because, you know, we told them that, oh, the best position for you is hands and knees. And it's like, well, you went in and hands and knees like was not happening. Yeah. So this is probably the biggest eye-opening experience that I had with my own birth experience and the way that we teach people birthing positions and labor positions. So, oh gosh, this is, I'm going to try to make this concise, but I want us to be thinking about as we are teaching patients the different positions that we want to be in laboring, right? That's like helping the baby descend down into the birth canal, right? Having them, that's usually external rotation of the hips and all of the breathing through contractions and that kind of thing and relaxing your pelvic floor during that time. All of that. And then the pushing positions, right? Where you want to increase the size of the pelvic outlet. We want to be an internal rotation at the hips. I think that we can all safely say we know that, that. And I knew that on paper too. For 16 years, I was teaching people that same thing and doing biofeedback to see where can your pelvic floor be in the most relaxed state. For both the labor and pushing positions, how are we going to breathe? Are we going to, you know, we're not going to do that, you know, the labor nurses and someone else is going to yell, being yelling at you and telling you to, to take a deep breath, hold your breath and push out and do this purple pushing situation. And you're not going to do that. You are going to do an open glottis push. You're going to breathe your baby out. You're going to do all these things. And I think the biggest thing to, to realize is that I think we can in our, we have it in our hearts to, to be the best for our people and do the right thing and help them to breathe the best way and get their legs in the best position. But are we really helping people to be ready for all different scenarios if that is what we are emphasizing. And I think some of our bias of knowing physiologically what might be the make the most sense might not make the most sense in the actual birth. Yeah, the fucking um, rules go out the window, man. The rules go out the window. And I and I am like thinking back now to the years of patients where I am like oh my gosh, did I potentially create any trauma because I was emphasizing the breath that they needed to do or the position that was even showing them the position that their pelvic floor is most relaxed in. By the way, in a PT room with biofeedback things attached to your near your external anal sphincter, not with a baby in the birth canal, like is that really an accurate representation of what it's going to be like? And I would say, hell to the no now. Do I think that we should abandon that? No, I think it still can be very helpful. But I do think that instead of helping patients optimize that birth position or pushing position or breath position, can we maybe take a step back and actually optimize each type of position that they might find themselves in. What if they have to push on their back? Because what I remember thinking about with all of my knowledge is that when that OB came in and she was like, pull your knees back and go, I was a little bit freaking out inside. Be like, this is not how I want it to go. And in a different scenario, that could have been how I needed to get clay out. And so I, I think that that if you have never been in a birth yourself, if you have and you've had one experience, I feel like N equals one in every single birth. Every single birth is different. And so I feel like the best thing that we can do for our patients is help them to be ready for as many different scenarios as possible. So there is no better or best or worst experience. It's that 
There just needs to be what is your experience going to be and how can we optimize each and every one of these permutations? And we're not going to be able to hit them all, but kind of the way that my doula presented it to us is that we're going to talk about the fact that that you are not going to be able to control every single little thing in this situation. We can have our preferences. We can have what our wishes are, but we need to be prepared for every single outcome. And that's where we come in. And I think that before going through this experience, I was too focused on the optimal experience and not preparing my patients for a different experience than optimal and how we can still be empowered and using our bodies in the best way possible, even if it's not in the way that we thought we were going to be pushing or delivering. I love that. So the two big takeaways there are assessing the support that your patient has and then being the one to fill in the gaps. I love how you said that, Nicole. If they don't have that amazing provider, then you can be that amazing provider. And then the second part is getting them ready for all different scenarios, the whole breadth of experiences that they may have. And I like that again, it's not about getting to the optimal thing, but optimizing whatever you find yourself in. And I think as pelvic rehab people, and this is this was me, this was literally me for 16 years of teaching people that, okay, the best position for you is going to be hands and knees and breathing in this certain way. And, and man, but, and our words matter. What we say matters to people. Like, when you have, when we work so hard to be a trusted practitioner that's full of knowledge, that's helping our patients through this experience, and you say to them that breathing in this certain way is the best for their pelvic floor and the best for the baby and the best for all these things, but then you get into a situation where that is not how it's going to go, something's not working, then you know, I really challenge us to think, are we actually creating a situation where we can actually be causing harm in that way when we're not preparing for multiple different scenarios? So I can't emphasize that enough. And we're not going to be able to be perfect. We're not going to be able to do all scenarios. But I think the more that we talk about the changing scenarios, the potential for the best, the birthing position that we find in in the clinic, it might not be the birthing position that you find as best in the moment. Like those things, those are the words that are going to stick in their heads when push comes to shove, push comes to shove. push comes to shove. Well, we got to end the podcast on that pun. But guys, thank you again so much for reaching out after each of our last more personal episodes. And, And I hope that by sharing our story, it really helps kind of make some of those shifts and and think about it in a different way. And and like Nicole was saying, N equals one, but we wanted to give you some of our takeaways from the experience throughout the entire process from trying to conceive all the way through little clay making it here. So I hope this has been helpful for you guys. As always, we'd love any questions. Feel free to reach out, email, DM, but we always want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.